and welcome to the Seabed 2030 podcast, brought to you by the Nippon Foundation and General Bathymetric Chart of the Ocean Seabed 2030 Project. Each month we'll bring you news, interviews and progress reports on our mission to map the seafloor of the entire planet, a task never before completed and a flagship project of the UN Decade of Ocean Science for Sustainable Development. Hello and welcome to podcast episode 6 for February 2024. My guest this month is Dr. Vicky Farini. She's head of the Seabed 2030 Atlantic and Indian Ocean Center at the Doherty Earth Observatory of the University of Columbia, Palisades, USA. She'll talk about her work in Seabed 2030 and ocean mapping and wider engagement in other ocean decade objectives. Hope you enjoy the episode. My name's Steve Hall. I'm Head of Partnerships for Seabed 2030 and can be emailed as partnerships at seabed2030.org. Now, over to Vicky. Hello, everybody. My guest this month is Vicky Farini. And Vicky's been a, a really key part of the Seabed 2030 community probably for a fair while now, but I'm going to ask Vicky a few questions to tell me about who she is, where she works, what does she do, and how she got into the whole we in the wonderful world of ocean mapping in the first place. So over to you, Vicky, to introduce yourself. All right. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Steve. Uh, so my name is Vicky Farini. I am a senior research scientist at the Lamont Doherty Earth Observatory of Columbia University in New York. My work for the past 20 years or so since I finished my PhD is has been focused on making marine geoscientific data accessible. So making sure that it's preserved and documented and also synthesized into products that can be accessed by specialists and non-specialists alike. And so this spans a variety of data types that describe the seafloor and the subseafloor. My passion and my interests are really focused at that interface of the seafloor, both mapping the shape of it, the texture of it, um, and seeing it with eyes, whether that be with video or camera, still camera, and bringing that data together to sort of um, reproduce that space that is really hard to access um, and get those observations available to scientists and to the world at large because there's so much that we have yet to discover in the deep sea and really throughout the global oceans in all water depths. Wow. And how did you get into it in the first place, Vicky? Was that the subject of your PhD or did you come in from a very different direction? So my PhD work was uh, focused on using multi-beam sonar to characterize shallow sedimentary environments. So that really focused on inner shelf environments. So uh, I did work off the coast of Long Island, I did work in the Gulf of Mexico, and I did work on the off the west coast of the U.S. Really, you know, very close to the shore in water depths of like 50 to 10 meters, looking at different seafloor structures and patterns and trying to understand what the signature of these processes, you know, meant, what, what the processes were that were leaving these marks on the seafloor. And from there, I had the opportunity to step into the deep sea just as I was finishing my PhD. I reintroduced myself to someone I'd worked with as an undergraduate 
And lo and behold, a month later, I was on my first deep sea cruise and I had my first dive in the submersible Alvin. And I found myself in this space in the deep sea environment where the scientific and technical skills and interests that I had um, really helped me find a, a niche in the space. So I was I spanned from the science to the technical. And so taking what I had learned in shallow water environments, working, you know, in sandy sort of spaces, now out to volcanic environments at very high resolution, mapping with submersibles and trying to bring data at different resolutions together. And then, you know, trying to assemble all these disparate data types so that we can sort of recreate the experience of being down in a submersible and seeing what it's like. Wow, that's that's an amazing thing. And there are so few human beings have actually had that privilege of being able to dive on vehicles like Alvin and get down there and see these features with their own eyes. I mean, it must have been quite a almost a life-changing experience to see all that. You know, it was. And one of the stories I like to tell about my first dive is I was on this research cruise at the East Pacific Rise, and I had been working with the data that Alvin was collecting, bathymetry data. It was an articulating sonar, so we were getting a slalom of data points instead of multi-beam, so the data were a bit more sparse. And working with submersibles, particularly then, the navigation is a bit of a challenge because we're navigating acoustically. And so I was working on this data, I was cleaning it up based on all of my experience working in shallow water sedimentary environments. And when I had my first dive and I looked out the window of Alvin and I saw what the volcanic terrain really looked like, I had to go back and reprocess data because things that I didn't realize could be possible, these big collapse features, which obviously now I understand as a scientist, but at that time I didn't really have enough exposure. So I had to go and reprocess the data based on actually looking out the window and seeing what it looked like with my own eyes. Wow. So that's a real testimony to the the power and value of seeing things with a Mark I eyeball as well as our instruments, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. And did you grow up near the sea, Vicky, or, 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 or was it not how you ever thought you'd end up spending your life? So I did, in fact, grow up on the beaches of Cape Cod. I was very fortunate to have that as my childhood. Uh, so, you know, every day I watched the tides come in and out. And so this sort of interest in seeing what it looked like under the water is part of, you know, sort of my DNA and playing in small boats in the harbor behind my parents' house and measuring the depth with an oar. You know, it was my, my first exposure to measuring bathymetry. And I've always been very spatially inclined and have always liked drawing maps. Um, and so it really sort of all came together as the opportunities unfolded before me that brought me to where I'm at. Brilliant. So can you tell our listeners a little bit about what your role is uh, you know, at the laboratory where you're based now? Yes, my my position at Lamont is twofold, as it turns out. So I've spent the last roughly 20 years working in the space of trying to make data more accessible. Um, it turns out that that's a, an area of cultural transformation, right? Because uh, my predecessors and even my peers haven't really been in the habit of sharing data fully and authentically. So there are policies here in the U.S. that get us to share data, require us to share data. Um, but oftentimes we don't have the time, the resources, the inclination. And so what happens often is that the minimum is, is done. So something gets shared, but not necessarily everything. 
And so the group that I started working with at Lamont, and Lamont itself has had a very long history of trying to make data available, preserving the data at the very least and getting it out there for people to use. And so what I've really been doing is, you know, slowly helping to move culture to get people more comfortable with sharing their data, making sure that they get credit for sharing the data, um, getting credit for collecting and making data products available, I think is a really important part of the scientific endeavor, the modern scientific space. We haven't fully valued it and prioritized it the way that we perhaps should have. And so a lot of my projects work on different parts of the data stewardship continuum is how I think of it, from making sure that data quality is optimized at acquisition, to preserving what's acquired, to synthesizing and cleaning and making products. The other part of what I do is focused on diversity, equity, and inclusion, and accessibility as well. And so there's this remarkable tie between these two spaces that has revealed itself to me. It wasn't really my intention, um, but really trying to make data more available, democratizing data access, democratizing geoscience, bringing more people, more diverse perspectives into the space, allowing everyone to flourish and have the opportunity to, you know, live up to their potential and, and utilize data and be part of a community and contribute perspectives. It all kind of comes together in a nice way. So yeah, that's what I spend my time on. Brilliant. And and I should add to the for the listeners, uh, I've only had the uh, pleasure of being over to Lamont once so far since I joined the CBED 2030 team. And one of the really striking things apart from it being a very pleasant location with great facilities was walking into this workshop and i think there are only three guys there a whole room full of female scientists technologists engineers who have been working in this field in a an area where a lot of people might think oh isn't it just guys that do you know, underwater acoustics and measurements and geology, and that is absolutely not the case. And Vicky and her team have been right at the forefront of helping to encourage this diversity and encourage people from all kinds of backgrounds to come and work in this space. And that has been a, a very powerful part of what she's been doing for the last few years as well. If I can just add to that, I think that the way that I envision what we're trying to accomplish with Seabed 2030 this is fundamental to the way that I think we can achieve our objectives. Really creating the space to bring people from all different backgrounds and perspectives together, helping to establish the baseline where we can share knowledge, data, tools um, to meet mutually beneficial goals, to me is sort of the foundation upon which really all the work that I do is based. Yeah, and of course, key ocean decade aims as well. Now, of course, Vicky has a very important role as the head of the Atlantic and Indian Ocean Center for the Seabed 2030 project. So how do you work with that incredibly vast region of ocean, Vicky? I mean, you've got these two, enormal, uh, two enormous ocean basins. Uh, how, how does that community feed their information into you? There are a variety of ways that we interact with stakeholders and work together to build the kind of mapping products that we're generating within Seabed 2030. So we're very fortunate in our region that there are, are several regional products, uh, regional efforts that are underway to build bathymetric data compilations. So a great example of that is uh, the European EMODnet bathymetry compilation. 
So that's a regional compilation that's being led by many people in the European Union. They're generating a product that is readily accessible and available for us to integrate into what we're building. And you really can think of it as building a puzzle. So they've put together a coherent piece of a puzzle that we can drop into a large area of the region that we are stewarding. So it helps to make it easier. And again, going back to making sure that we credit people's contributions, that's paramount in what we do. So we're very fortunate that we can lean on that compilation. There are other efforts within the Atlantic Ocean, um, multi uh, national efforts, so international efforts, um, trying to get coordination within different regions of the Atlantic Ocean. Um, so we're able to leverage that. Um, we're also working closely within hydrographic commissions. So there are regional bodies within the hydrograph, the International Hydrographic Organization. Um, and so we can go into those spaces and work with people to help provide information to them about the data that we know exists, that is shared and integrated, the data that we know exists that hasn't been shared. We can help prioritize areas that have not yet been mapped, at least highlight them and help feed into their regional planning and coordinating to help them accomplish their objectives while also accomplishing ours. And there's also an exciting project um, that is being run right now by some of the alumni of the Nippon Foundation JEBCO training program focused in the Western Indian Ocean. Um, so we're working closely with them, again, to share knowledge and tools and figure out how to find the common ground where they can, we can help them meet their objectives and they can help contribute to what we're trying to do. So those are just a few examples. There are many others. Um, I would be remiss if I tried to, well, if I tried to label them all or list them all, I wouldn't catch them off the top of my head. But we're really gaining momentum. We're trying to get the word out both digitally and in person as much as we can. And we're starting to get more and more people engaged and more data is being shared with us all the time. So it's really paying off and it's wonderful to see. Yeah, excellent. Thank you. And uh, listeners will have heard me interviewing uh, Kate Larkin, who's head of the eModnet Center in our December podcast. And you, you'll have been able to hear her, her insights into how all this jigsaw works, you know, and making sure that all of the pieces come into place. So, Vicky, what kind of new technologies might be on the horizon or, or new discoveries that you think that will help? make the you know the job of completing the seabed 2030 task a little easier is is there any anything new and exciting that uh, we should be aware of well within our region we're certainly able to um, benefit from emerging technologies and initiatives like crowdsource bathymetry is starting to gain more momentum as um, uncrewed systems are coming online and making it less expensive to acquire data, that's going to help us. Um, some of the satellite-based technologies, um, satellite-derived bathymetry where we can see through the water to get bathymetric measurements, and also wave kinematic bathymetry from satellites, which is emerging. And I've not yet seen and had the opportunity to get my hands on any of that data, but I'm hoping that that's going to happen this year. And so, you know, if, if we think about the vastness of the ocean, um, we really need every technology and every group that we can get to participate in this to get what we're trying to accomplish done. And so 
I'm sure there are other emerging technologies coming online that I haven't yet heard of, um, but I look forward to what the future holds because I really think that the most important thing that we're accomplishing as this movement grows is we're learning how to work together as a global community across across sectors, across communities, across countries and cultures. We're really starting to bring everything to bear. Yes, indeed. And uh, I was very grateful to uh, Vicky in December when she was able to go and give a talk to the uh, Society for Underwater Technology Middle East branch in Dubai during the COP28 uh, program. And do you get many opportunities like that, Vicky, to talk to people from industry or is it predominantly folk from the academic community that you tend to engage with or governments? My experience uh, is that in my in the rest of the work that I do, I have a lot of interaction with academia and government folks. And it's certainly CBED 2030 is increasing my engagement with with other government uh, representatives from other nations. Um, but having the engagement with industry is definitely a unique thing to CBED 2030, and it is growing. Um, I think a big part of what we're still trying to do is to get the word out that, you know, this project is underway. There is a need and a use for these data sets, even older data sets um, that may seem to be not of value, um, are of value to what we're trying to do and sort of um, shaking the trees to figure out where that data is and how we might be able to gain access to it in some form is a huge part of what we're doing and I know that there's still a lot of data out there that we don't yet know of right we don't know how much we don't know but we know that there's a lot that we don't know and so the more opportunities that we have to engage with people in different communities that haven't heard about what we're trying to do and haven't heard about how important it is and what the benefits are um, the more we do that the better because with every one of those engagements more people come along and join us and and mention data that exists and give us leads to follow and and suddenly more of the map is filled in brilliant and that's really key i know that our director jamie estimates something like 15 to 20 percent of the ocean might have already been measured but it's never been shared with anybody, which is mightily frustrating as we, as we look at those large gaps in the global database. Well, it's been terrific talking to you, Vicky. Um, we're going to be working with Vicky and her colleagues throughout this year. There's lots happening on the CBED 2030 front as we gradually inch our way towards that global ocean coverage that we, uh, we all strive to achieve. So any final words from yourself, Vicky? Yeah, I, I, one one final thought for me, and I tend to include this in a lot of presentations that I give, but I really think that bathymetry is just the beginning, right? So building this base map that can be shared with everyone across the world is the starting point. What we do with that, what we can build on top of that, what we can overlay on top of that, and what we can do, do as a global community that has learned to work together is, I think... Um, what is in some ways even more intriguing because we there's so much potential to what we can do as we build this product together. Yes, yeah, you're absolutely right. How we apply this knowledge to things like marine spatial planning and 
you know, adapting to climate change, sea level rise, tsunamis, all of these kind of things, how we're going to feed each other in the future, relocate cities from low-lying coastal areas, all of it requires that baseline mapping. And if you haven't mapped it, you can't manage it. You can't even begin to understand it at all. So terrific. Great fun talking to you. Uh, we'll doubtless meet face-to-face some point during 2024. Uh, listeners who want to know how to get in touch with Vicky or find out more about the Atlantic and Indian Ocean Center, I'll make sure there's links in the podcast notes. So you should just be able to click on them there. So thanks very much, Dr. Farini. Thank you, Steve. Thank you very much for listening to Dr. Vicky Farini, our special guest for February 2024. We'll be back at the start of March with another very special guest who is Lisa Blair, a very accomplished solo around the world sailor based currently in Australia. And Lisa has done some tremendous work putting scientific instrumentation on her uh, solo sailing yachts as she travels around the planet and she'll be telling us how she as a citizen scientist is able to contribute to Seabed 2030's work. Find out more about Seabed 2030 at www.seabed2030.org Podcast produced by Steve Hall Email partnerships at seabed2030.org Music by Emily Body Copyright Seabed 2030 We'll be back next month via your preferred podcast provider.